Hello there, you Awakening Wonders. Thanks for joining me for Stay Free with Russell Brand today. We've got an amazing show. Firstly, we've got a wonderful German Shepherd in the building. That's always enjoyable. We've got an amazing guest coming up. Neil Oliver is going to be joining us. Do you know Neil Oliver? Let me know in the chat. Do you know him, guys, in the uh, in the locals chat? Do you know him in the Rumble chat? You're aware of him? Uh, we've got a fantastic take on the legacy media's ongoing advocacy for war, where continually they platform people, pundits, I suppose you'd say, with military-industrial complex ties without mentioning them. You're going to love this, right? They bring people out and go, this person used to work for the Obama administration. He's a diplomat and an expert on bringing about peace. Then with investigation, you discover they've got ties to Boeing or Raytheon or Lockheed Martin. In short, the legacy media are showcasing people with MIC, military-industrial complex ties, and just presenting them as experts. No wonder war is escalating when you take the opinions of people that benefit from war and present it as news. What is the function of the legacy media? Let me know in the chat right now. If you think it's to convey information, press one. If you think it's to amplify the intentions of the establishment, press two. Let's see them. And I see you lot in the old rumble chat. Let's see a little bit more love in there between one another. We want diversity of opinion. We want free speech. But this is where you can show one another that it's possible to communicate lovingly. If you fancy a little more love, jump over to that locals chat. Lots of peace, lots of glory. For the first 15 minutes, we're going to be on YouTube, okay? But then, and this, by the way, is water, not vodka, just to clarify. Highland Springs are not running freely with vodka unless Putin is pushing his agenda even that far by making the Highlands themselves full of extremely powerful, uh, I would say, ethanol-laden drinks, Many of you are pressing two. You recognize that it's all about propaganda. And if you want to know how propaganda works, have a look at the way that news is reported versus the events themselves. You'll love this. MSNBC have been reporting on a Trump slip-up. Did you see this speech? There was a fantastic speech that Trump did. Beautiful speech, beautiful speech, where he accidentally said that Viktor Orban was the leader of Turkey instead of Hungary. Of course, it's Erdogan, isn't it, is the leader of Turkey. Now, MSNBC fall upon this, ravenous and hungry, because they show their hands with stories like this. They show their hands. They even in it go, do you see? Oh, they would have gone crazy if Biden had done this. What they don't show is that just a few seconds later, Trump corrects himself. Sorry, I mean, uh, he's actually, it's Hungary, not Turkey. They don't mention that. So in a sense, you can watch propaganda in real time. And in a minute, we'll be showing you some of Biden's ongoing extraordinary gaffes, like a handshake that lasts forever. And you'll love this as well. Uh, Hillary Clinton barracking live. It's uh, extraordinary to see Hillary getting I ain't watched all of it yet. But if you want to watch it, um, let me know, because we've uh, got a whole host, a wide and maddening variety of options. We'll start, though, by showing you MSNBC reporting on Trump. We're at 5,000 at the moment on the Rumble stream. If we get to 20,000, you can choose what you want to see marched out here. Do you want to see Gareth Roy as usual? Or do you want to see... I mean, you've seen a dog. I don't know what else we can drag out here for you. I don't know who we can present to you people. Let's uh, let's have a look at the Trump slip-up, but then let's see how it's reported on. It's brilliant. You'll love this. Victor Orban. Did ever, anyone ever hear of him? He's probably like one of the strongest leaders anywhere in the world. And... He uh, he's the leader of right. He's the leader of Turkey. 
Okay. Oh, right. So, so that's the mistake he's made. But look at this. Look at this. Look at the joy of this. Look at what's behind it. The legacy media yet pretend that what they're doing is conveying information. But what they're doing, as you know, because you all press too, they're amplifying propaganda, right? Except he isn't. Sort of hungry. Oh, God. Oh, no. It's a different country. Oh, we're so, it's so exhausted. It's almost as if that mistake is worse than a democracy that's way off track being run by a near cadaver. We hadn't had a new tsunami today. I might have lived with that. That was Donald Trump today praising Viktor Orban, the authoritarian leader of Hungary, not Turkey. Of course, when you pal around with the world's autocrats, it's easy to mix them up, I guess. Sometimes I think when they criticise like Trump's personality, it's a kind of envy. You know, like he's got a sort of ease, conviviality, congeniality, humour and wit that they envy. They try and be funny. They try and be jingoistic. They try and be bombastic, but they just don't do it as well. Now, I've been on this show. Do you remember that when I was on that show, Morning Joe? Look at the piety, the judgment. Look at how they even say, oh, if Biden did this, they'd be falling upon it. While they themselves never report. Like, will they later on on MSNBC cover the moment where Joe Biden does a 20 minute handshake? with a scientist that looks like he's about to push her over the edge. Orban, of course, uh, maybe he's never even visited Turkey. I don't know. Maybe maybe the leader of Hungary has visited. And if that were Joe Biden, they'd be running wall to wall on certain networks with medical experts describing what was yeah. happening here and why he needed help and why he should probably step off the stage. Right. Do you see like they're actually sort of meta commenting on what they themselves do. And with the first newscaster, when she talks about autocrats, you know that Joe Biden has personally enabled the sale of weapons to 57% of the world's autocracies. Does that make sense to you? You know, when Trump was doing arms deals with Saudi Arabia, excuse me, Saudi Arabia, Biden said he would make Saudi Arabia a pariah. And yet they sell more arms than Trump sold to Saudi Saudi Arabia. So actually, when it comes to it, they can't criticise Trump on policy because, hey, what about the wall? They're building that wall anyway. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Let's have a look at what actually happened in that Trump speech. You'll be astonished. And remember, are you familiar with Neil Oliver? He's coming on the show. He's a fantastic British commentator, Scottish specifically. I think you're going to enjoy seeing him. If you have questions for Neil, post them in the chat right now. Let's have a look at uh, Trump's speech and what they don't report on the legacy media. We're trying to, as best as we can, give you some kind of balance so we can come together. Because believe you me, unless we find ways of unifying, unless we find ways of being diverse but unified, decentralised but unified, they've already won. I'm telling you, they've already won. He uh, is the leader of, right? He's the leader of Turkey. Fronts on both Russia. Fronts on both Russia. Yeah, you could sit down. We'll be here for a little. We got plenty of time. What the hell? I'm very honored that you're all standing, but sit down. They'll be standing in a couple of minutes as soon as we say some of the things they like, because they're waiting. They're waiting for that. But Viktor Orban, and he's the head of Hungary, and he runs a tough, uh, let me tell you, he runs it properly. Just corrected it. No big deal. Can't put that on the news. He runs it strong with crime and everything else. He runs it strong, and he doesn't let terrorists into his country. They said, what do you recommend for uh, Joe Biden if you could tell him anything? I tell him to resign and let Trump become president because nobody ran.
Let me know, are the liberal mainstream media hypocritical when it comes to their coverage of Trump? And what does this story tell you? Just a simple Y or N in the chat over on Rumble. Let me know. The most relevant part of the speech wasn't covered. Uh, This is talking about Trump's personality in relationship to war and Hillary Clinton's claim that Trump's personality in and of itself was a creator of conflict. A little bit later, we'll show you Hillary Clinton in an extraordinary showdown with a heckler. You're going to uh, love that. Let me know if you want to see it. Yeah, the yeses are coming thick and fast. Let's have a look at uh, Trump saying that his personality is like a balm. It's like a dove from the Lord. It's an olive branch. Look at what we did. We defeated ISIS. Remember when Hillary Clinton, I don't call her crooked anymore. I've given that term over to I don't know. I call her beautiful Hillary. She's a beautiful woman. Beautiful, beautiful Hillary. Remember when she was He'll cause a war with his personality. No, my personality kept us out of war. We didn't have any wars. I was the first one in, I think they say, 76 years. Now, with this omni-crisis escalating the potential for Iran to become involved in the conflict with yet more funding going to Ukraine, with perpetuating the war with Russia, with escalating tensions with China, whose personality is better suited to bring in about peace? Do you think it's Trump or do you think it's this guy? Now, to give Joe Biden his credit, he certainly shake hands well, but... And maybe a little bit too long. Tell me if you think he overdoes it with his handshake. And tell me, like, I want you to say now at the point where you think he should have let go of the hand. Let's have a look at this. He's, I think he's given an award to a scientist, a neurologist, I think. Have a look at this. The National Medal of Science is being presented to Huda Akil. That's long enough. Already now, this is we're in excess handshake territory. Of the University of Michigan for pioneering contributions to our understanding of the brain biology of emotions. Her seminal discoveries of the molecular, neural... I bet she's making some molecular neural discoveries right now. Will you please let go of my hand? Follow the science! Genetic and behavioral mechanisms of pain, substance abuse, and depression have helped identify novel targets Lot of you saying now, now, he should have let go by now. Join us over on Rumble, not you lot, you awakened wonders. Press the red button if you want to become an awakened wonder and support our work so that we can continue to develop and grow this movement. Here on Stay Free, we point out the problem. There, with the awakened wonder community and locals, we are moving towards solutions. Joe Biden on stage, he's still shaking hands. For treatments, strengthening our nation's public health, including the fight to end the opioid epidemic. And this is where we've now entered an extraordinary time, I believe, where everything has become politicised. We got some fantastic reporting for you on excess deaths, which I can't talk about while we're still on YouTube. Some revelatory stuff that if you were someone that was sceptical around the pandemic and the way that it was being handled, you are going to be verified. You are going to be given the data you require to seal this conversation once and for all. But I feel that COVID and vaccines were politicised from the beginning. Do you think that it was science that determined the behaviour during lockdown and the policy during lockdown? Press S if you do. Or was it politics? Press P if you think that it was politics. Have a look at this uh, from our man Biden claiming that it was science. Now, starting on day one in the middle of the pandemic, we vaccinated a nation the greatest operational effort ever undertaken by this country, operational. And we did it with a strategy based on science, not on politics. 
Yeah, politics. It was highly political in the end, wasn't it? I feel that people were getting boosters for political reasons. I'm still on YouTube, so let's be careful. People were wearing masks for political reasons because... The science tells a very different story, whether it's natural immunity, whether it's the lack of clinical trials on trans. I've just got to be careful because we're on YouTube. I can't say everything I want to say on this platform. It's simply not possible. But that's just to show you a little bit of contrast before we move on to some of the uh, Hillary Clinton stuff. Let's just remind ourselves how Kamala Harris and Joe Biden talked about the vaccine prior to uh, their administration commencing. If the Trump administration approves a vaccine before or after the election, should Americans take it and would you take it? If Donald Trump tells us I should t- that we should take it, I'm not taking it. The people of this country don't trust this federal government with this vaccine process. I trust vaccines. I trust scientists. But I don't trust Donald Trump. The WHO are on the very precipice precipice of being able to impose a global treaty that will mean your country, if it's a member of the WHO, will have to give 5% of its health budget to the WHO and that your country will have to obey their legislation when it comes to masks, lockdowns, vaccines in the event, and some would say the inevitable event, of another pandemic. Here is the WHO Director General complaining that the spread of misinformation undermines faith in our institutions. But what's really undermining the faith in institutions? Is it misinformation or is it corruption? Press M if it's misinformation. Press C if it's corruption. We saw a lack of coordination between nations and between health actors and the politicization of science and the undermining of faith in our institutions from the spread of mis information. Whether it's in the Rumble chat right now or in the Awakened Wonder Locals chat, they're naught but the letter C raining down endlessly. What vitamin you need, though, is vitamin D, not C, although, you know, that would perhaps be a little too scientific for the WHO. How are you feeling about this WHO treaty? Do you want to grant more power to unelected globalist bodies? Yes or no? You know where the WHO gets their funding. Press Y if you think that the WHO should plan and, oh, excuse me, I don't know why the word plan came out of my mouth. In the next pandemic, should be able to impose their legislation. Yes or no? Just a Y or an N is all that's required. A proposal for negotiating text for a pandemic treaty is progressing. The proposal was circulated to, to World Health Organization member states on Monday, October the 16th. The text is publicly available from October the 30th. Have a little look, because sometimes I was told they just move one little word, like well, you should not be able to impose vaccine mandates to you should be able to impose this. Only small changes, but with pretty significant implications. In the UK, there's a petition. We should post that. Uh, we should post that petition, like so that it is at least negotiated in Parliament. We no one will turn up for it. And let me know in your country, wherever you are in North America, is there any resistance to this treaty? Has anything been learned from the last few years? Now, before we have a look at Hillary Clinton uh, at Columbia University dealing with a protester on the basis of Biden's $100 billion military funding bundle, which is exacerbating, I would argue, 
death and, death and destruction on an unprecedented scale. Let me know what you want to see when we come off YouTube. The skyrocketing demand for panic rooms. It's an interesting story. Everybody's in a state of total panic and people want panic rooms and safe rooms and stuff like that. Or would you like to see Dr. Drew discussing myocarditis? First, uh, it, one for panic rooms, two for Dr. Drew. Let me know um, as well. Uh, how you feel about this uh, Hillary Clinton shouting match. We just started to watch this. And let me know, too, if you want to see... Uh, I'm wondering whether we should go straight to Neil Oliver or whether or not we should show our Here's the News. But I'll ask you that in a, a little second. I just want to make sure you guys are in absolute control of what we're doing. I'm Honestly, I'm, be struck I'm, by the hypocrisy I'm sorry, we've got of two more people I, I to hear from. I'm sorry. You, you have a the, chance. Well, the, I'm I would say the Institute of Global Politics, even as a name, tells you a little too much about what's happening. What you want is regionalised, decentralised politics, federalism, maximum amount of democracy, not an elite establishment march, decentralising power and introducing authoritarianism wherever possible by introducing crisis wherever possible so people are in a total state of fear and dread and unable to think straight. I'm not sorry. The, the hip, sit down. I, I know you're not sorry. That's people, the point. The hypocrisy. Of this talk. speech, the hypocrisy of the fact that Frank what, what do you have? Can you please? Can you is it's funny that portrait on the wall just like mm, this isn't why we built this place. A please make a statement about President Joe Biden's speech. This is a clearly is warmongering speech. President Joe Biden is calling for a hundred billion dollars of funding for Israel, Taiwan, and Ukraine, and we're supposed to just bundle these together and pretend like we're going to rush to World War III, and we're all just going to let Hillary Rodham Clinton sit here. And, okay. I'm yes. sorry. You know, yes. this is not, what, what, this is not no, the way no, to have no, a conversation. I'm sorry. If you want to have my, a conversation, you're no, welcome to come you, talk to you me can, afterwards. You can sit here. Okay, right. You're yeah, gonna, you're gonna, yeah. you're gonna wait for me, right? I, please, I, I, I don't. Wait for I do you, not believe you. And I will you. listen to you, and I, do, I will respond I to you. I do not believe you. But Respectfully, right. I do not believe you. Well, and the fact just, of the matter is that the just, American people's voice are what need to be heard. Yeah, because, they are being because heard. our president is not speaking for the American people, and well, neither are that's you. That's your opinion. That's your opinion. Yes, that's my but, opinion. But, but P for protester, H for Hillary in the chat. And do you remember being? given a vote on how to escalate and fund the military industrial complex and their clear agenda. P if you were to protest that. H if you were Hillary. Well, then sit down. We've heard your opinion. Thank you very much. Now we're going to turn gonna to people who are I'm not going to stop it. I'm not going to stop working on behalf of you. Get into the basket of deplorables. I'm going to exercise my free speech but until, it's not, until it's I'm not removed. Free speech when you there is so much P in the chat that the Democrats will tell you that it's raining down on Donald Trump from a Russian sex worker and try and create a hoax out of it. We're disrupting yes, everybody it is. else's opportunity. It is free speech. Speak. This is free speech, everyone. This is free speech. That is not free speech. This is people constructing narratives that are openly hypocritical. I'm sorry. You, the, the incredible hypocrisy. You know, you maybe you could went with Eleanor Roosevelt to bring this Declaration of the Rights of Man, John Foster Dulles was involved with the CIA. Right, it's getting, it's getting excited now. <laughs> Operation Paperclip, a mockingbird. Oh, man, you've known about the UFOs for ages. <laughs> you know, Pizzagate. Ah! Oh, yeah, well, you're brilliant in your oh, historical yes. uh, cherry-picking. The, the Pinochet regime. 
cherry picking Hillary of Steele dossier. Uh, please, listen. could you please inform me about the United States okay, involved we are in these going historical to, things? We're going to move right, on. Miss Clinton, will you denounce Joe Biden? Will you denounce Joe Biden's human rights? Not will just yelling about it. Right so, Frank, I want to turn to you because. They're not just turning to Frank at a time like this. A lot of people in the Rumble chat concerned for that young man. But, like, yeah, I think uh, do, uh, I would say, make a video right now saying I'm in good mental health. I feel pretty optimistic about the future. Sadly, that young man was found in... You can finish that sentence, guys. You are from Uganda, and Uganda's 2023... Did she just say, you are Uganda? <laughs> wow. I must visit Uganda this year. Well, I'm here. It's really amazing because there's a much more immediate problem than LGBTQ plus problems in Uganda. Why are you funding these wars? Where's our democracy, man? Never mind all that. Let's get back to what's going on in Uganda. To World War Three. Oh, Do you understand? It's please. not about Israel and Palestine. It's not please. about, it's not football. This isn't football. It's not Team America. Well, I'm sorry, but some of us are on Team America despite our flaws and our yes, problems. Yes, yes, that, that's me. Oh, no, you're not getting away with that. They're not... Uh, uh, Team America? No, some of us do like actually America as a matter of fact and our ability to have ongoing bombing raids over. <laughs> Every person on this stage has risked their life, their income, their reputation. Please just let us discuss Uganda. I mean, Uganda is an interesting nation, but plainly, the, this is not the way the conversation is going. Their careers and what okay. have you done other than stand up and right. disrupt? I need you. To, I need you. To, I report you my record and these you women's records. What was she saying there? What have you done? What have you done? How dare you do free speech and Hillary get into your basket of deplorables and do what you're doing. This is liberalism. This is what liberal put this mask on. You are at risk. You're not two meters apart here. This will make you feel better. Extraordinary stuff. Okay, listen, uh, you lot want to see the myocarditis clip. Of course you want to see the myocarditis clip. We're going to have to leave YouTube to do that. And straight after that, we're going to talk to our dear beloved friend, Neil Oliver, who's a fantastic pundit truth teller's got some fantastic perspectives that you are gonna want to hear so if you're watching this on youtube right now there's a link in the description i want to see you en masse migrate into rumble get over there right now where we can speak freely where we can be together we're going to talk to neil oliver we're going to talk about the use of pundits with ties to military industrial complex companies that ain't declared as they advocate for ongoing expenditure on war in fact that young man we should find that guy because he would love this video and i, I don't think he'll be shouting throughout here because i agree yes exactly exact team america hillary on the other hand i don't think she'd be a fan okay so joy if you're on youtube ta-ta for now see you in a minute and 
and uh, we're going to look at Dr. Drew. Let us know. if we off, Are we off YouTube now? We're, we're gone, guys. See you later, YouTube. We have to wait a while because if I accidentally say something that WHO wouldn't like, we get in a lot of trouble. So get over here right now. We're going to talk about Dr. Drew discussing recent American Heart Association journal reports. 50% of young men with myocarditis after jab had permanent... Can I say it yet? Were we off YouTube? Still can't say it. Still can't say it. Clear. Heart damage. Bloody, bloody myocarditis. It's them jabs cause myocarditis. Why can't we say this? Why are we not free to tell the truth? Become an awakened wonder. Join us. There's enough commenting on the problems. You can see what the problem is. And the problem is that we're waging war around the world. We're waging war against one another. When if we were smart just for a second, we would recognize we have more in common with one another than we do with the establishment elite that pull the strings, guide, govern, and control us. Okay, guys. Uh, okay, let's have a look at Dr. Drew on myocarditis, uh, which apparently is a side effect of a certain little very popular injection that had a good uh, PR campaign not long ago. They save lives in the Middle East, and in this country, safe rooms are now becoming popular. Never mind safe rooms. You're not getting no safe rooms. Democracy works. Oh, there must have been some faulty voting machines on this end, let me tell you. Let's have a look at Dr. Drew. It's more common than we thought. People are like, well, a smile, a smile. It's no big deal. It's, it's self-limited, blah, blah. Look, in my world, throughout my entire career, 40-year career, myocarditis is a medical emergency. It's a dire problem. A publication just came out five days ago in circulation, a major cardiac cardiology journal. An excellent study, and it showed it took my breath away. I didn't know why it wasn't headline news. It's a large study, and it showed that. Well, no, it's not headline news. It's censored. About approximately half of the young males that got myocarditis had permanent heart damage. Yep. Permanent. That means that a, we don't know what percentage are going to be disabled by this as they get older, are going to develop heart failure, or are going to need cardiac transplants, some of them. Oh my God. It's breathtaking this study and why it wasn't a big headline i've sort of sent it around a little bit because I, I i don't understand why people aren't reacting to it so in a 27 year old male the illness is a nothing so the risk is so the vaccine is all risk right. why the push why are we pushing and i think put your legal head on for a second that universities are going to be in big trouble for having mandated young people to get that vaccine because I mean, people are going to get sick and they're going to have long-term consequences and they should sue those schools for having forced them to take the take a medical intervention there you go just another aspect of this unfolding drama that seems to lead more and more to censorship and centralized control hey guys let's do a post right now on x and let people there know that neil oliver from gb news is about to join us and the first question i want to ask neil is this is the crisis that we're confronting so big that we can't even face it? Is that what's happening? Let them know an X. Give them a still of the two of us together. And those of you that are watching us now in Rumble or in our locals community, please welcome from GB News, my new friend and potential sort of doppelganger cousin in a pastoral wonderland, Neil Oliver. Thanks for joining us, Neil. Uh, the audio in here, I can't hear Neil. I don't know if you're muted, mate. Um, but I can't hear you in oh, here. There we go. But can I you can hear me do, now? I can, but I can also do. Hello. I can do your side of the conversation. Oh, hello. Yeah. Well, what it is, Russell? As we're at a point of crisis, you've got a lovely little in Scottish accent. Um, Neil, mate, can you tell us? Do you, why do you think people are unable to appropriately respond to what seems to be a kind of omni crisis and 
all immersive, total surrounding nightmare. Why are people not able to face it? What is it, Neil? I think, in essence, it's too big for a lot of people to contemplate. I think to uh, embrace the scale of the problem involves people in uh, being prepared to set aside the way they've perceived the world, uh, the way they've understood the relationship with the state, uh, the way they've understood the role of science and the obligations that the institutions have you know, towards us, that symbiotic relationship that's supposed to be there. And because it's too much, uh, many, many people who have a great deal of their sense of self uh, invested in, you know, that they believe that they understand, they believe they've read enough, they believe they're, uh, you know, in control of the facts and the data. And to contemplate that they might have had it wrong, that they might have been duped, Mm. fooled, tricked, is too much. And, you know, there are, uh, well, there's historical not exactly historical precedent, but when it came to uh, when the when the ships of the of Europe were were encountering the New World, and it, it's partly apocryphal, but the story goes that when say Columbus's ships appeared in the Americas, or when Captain Cook's endeavour arrived in Australia, there were there are various stories that circulate that the the indigenous people didn't even look up at the arrival of these enormous ships. Now. It all comes really from a diary entry by Joseph Banks, probably Cook's uh, uh, botanist. But nonetheless, the idea is that's that's pushed is that it was too much for them to take on, and so they simply pretended that the ships weren't there. Now, apocryphal or not, I think it's illustrative of the idea that sometimes something is too big for people to be willing to comprehend it. And I think perhaps counter to the way you might think, it's the cleverest people, the people who consider themselves the most educated and the most experienced and the wisest that struggle to allow for the possibility that they might have to rethink their understanding of society, even of reality. Yes, it's an incredible invitation and a terrifying one to have a personal awakening induced of that scale, Neil. And I I, I love your use of that albeit potentially apocryphal tale, that what's appearing on the horizon of our life is so inconceivably large, so extraordinary and represents such a disruption. Now, unless you're a sort of a cynical and sceptical person, and I know many of our awakened wonders and many of our friends in the Rumble chat are, you know, like I'm my default position towards authority, Neil, is I don't trust authority. That meant that for a while I was considered sort of a left-wing person because I don't trust authority and my natural alliances used to be on the left. It seems now that a lot of people think I'm a conspiracy theorist or a right wing, but but really my position hasn't changed. I don't trust authority. Now, I had a conversation with Jordan Peterson the other day, which will be available on Locals in a couple of days, actually, and you'll love it. And I talked about, you know, it's sort of obviously a very well-worn idea, um, the idea that in a secular or post-religious order, the role of God or the organising principle is taken by the state. So to sort of disavow the state becomes a kind of heresy. Earlier, we showed a clip where we talked about the politicisation of COVID, wearing masks, being a badge of honour, getting booster shots, almost like some kind of pharmaceutical communion, like some ongoing doubling down on your allegiance to a particular ideology. Do you think that part of the reason people can't have a real reckoning around the pandemic era and what it has revealed, authoritarianism, a desire for surveillance, a tendency towards censorship, a plain 
aim to control people that was just inconceivable prior to its start. Do you think it's because a kind of religious sense has been grafted onto the public political consciousness, Neil? Yeah, I do. I think I think uh, experience of, of of looking back at the last few hundred years seems to suggest that in doing away with God, in doing away with uh, religiosity and and ridiculing and and uh, and setting aside faith in the West, uh, has been has has not been helpful. Mm. And I think it's demonstrable by the fact that uh, into its into the space left behind by religion is pulled some other zombie parasitic replacement for 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 faith in the in the transcendent you know i think it's undeniable that many people perhaps most people have a sense of the transcendent however they might express it you know the thirst that from the soul doth rise doth ask a drink divine said the poet and where true religion is taken away something else takes its place and i think we saw during the covid during the the, the covid debacle I think we saw a religiosity around the way all of it was pushed. And so you had uh, a dress code, you know, you had people having to wear face masks because that was, you know, part of the appearance that was that, that enabled people to demonstrate that they were good people. I am wearing a mask because I am one of the good guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it came to the products that were pushed as, as vaccines, uh, it, it was almost like taking communion. It was like an, an ersatz Eucharist where people didn't just take the vaccine, they wanted to be seen to take those products. And so they were posting pictures of themselves receiving the injection and and showing their vaccination cards and and all of the rest of it. There were good scientists and bad scientists, which Mm -hmm. is a replacement for the priests and the heretics. But there was undoubtedly a religiosity about it. And I think it it demonstrated that that in the absence of faith, in the absence of religion, something else, something less worthy and something ultimately less helpful gets pulled into the void. I like the, uh, it seems to me at least significant, that one component of it is an ongoing demonstration of allegiance. I've noted with interest this rising fear in our culture, fear, anger, desire, primal emotions, a tendency to throw onto the other the kind of shadow qualities of every individual. It's extraordinary to see a kind of what seems to be a sort of a scent of evil. It appears, too, that the kind of comfortable idea that our culture, the sort of uh, we of the West, are the good guys, seems to be under question. Neil, I understand that, you know, that you and I share an opinion that potentially even history itself has been mistold, even recent events. This might seem a little highfalutin and even a little fudged, but because of the potential that at the end of the Second World War, significant numbers of Nazi scientists took roles within NASA, for example, is it possible that somehow there is a kind of a ghost of evil, transcendent of nation, moving from territory to territory. I mean, is this what globalism really is? Corporate elites, alliances that transcend either religion, corporate affiliation, national affiliation, and and other examples of that through history, a kind of, I don't want to get into the realm of conspiracy theory, certainly not on the basis of anything other than uh, economic interests and interests of dominion. But do you feel that that, that that's a possibility, that we are no longer on the side of righteousness, potentially because we're being marshaled by forces that are not easy to observe within conventional history? 
I, I have over the last few years begun to open myself up to the possibility that, well, as you say, since perhaps the end of the Second World War, I think if if we were if the West were the good guys, I've begun to question whether or not we still are, and and I think possibly our goodness began to wane in the years following the end of the Second World War. I think to some extent it might have been because there was an open goal. Uh, you know, the, um, America in particular, but the West had had an opportunity to be predominant, uh, and I think there was a temptation that came with that to exploit opportunities to make money. Uh, I think the rest of the 20th century and the, and the and the prosecution of one war after another, I, th- I think when I look at it now, I, I contemplate the possibility that it was increasingly because it was the, the opportunity for profit that was driving a lot of that. We talk all the time about the military-industrial complex. I think that's been driving it. I, I've, even, I've even begun to wonder uh, at, at the extent to which we're told the truth about exactly who won the war and how. You know, you talk about Operation Paperclip when the when the Americans uplifted a lot of uh, you know Nazi scientists and transplanted them into the United States, and a lot of those people took up positions of influence in in esteemed uh, universities and 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 other places of influence. Uh, I'm minded of that. You know, the line from the Usual Suspects, the thing about you know the greatest trick the devil ever told was persuading the world he didn't exist. I do wonder at the extent to which some of the evil that was there in the in the in the 30s and the 40s. Uh, just managed to uh, disappear out of sight without actually being expunged or or cleared away once and for all. I think to some extent it it has it has been there ever since. But it's part of that coming to terms with the possibility that that uh, you might have to uh, re-engineer your understanding of the world around you is to contemplate that you know perhaps that notion that the West, the the, the United States, are and have always been the good guys. I think that's definitely under question now. And it, it's very uncomfortable. I, I share the discomfort in having to go through that. And, and once again, I say, I think that's why so many people won't even begin to take one step onto that kind of staircase of disbelief and begin to contemplate the possibility that the way they've understood and perceived the world might need a radical rethink. Yeah, because that staircase of disbelief i wonder if it's an ascendancy like ezekiel or a descent like the dude with the harp uh you know who goes orpheus you know because what i feel neil is that in a way we have to start considering a completely different understanding of reality seems that individualism rationalism materialism progressivism and i don't actually just mean cultural progressivism in terms of different forms of identity i mean the idea that there is a teleology for humanity that we are wealthier than our grandparents and you've got this new gadgetry it seems to me that something is being obscured from us is it god is it atlantis is there a kind of lost history, some hidden mystery that might yet unify us? Is it as simple as the fact that we've become detached from our anthropological conditions as creatures that might live harmonized in localized tribes rather than gathered together, corralled in herds of 30 million, 300 million, 60 million with a centralized dictatorial authoritarian government dispatching medicines and fake news and keeping us dumb and sugared up and screen fed and fat. You know, 
I, do you feel sometimes that there needs to be a philosophical shift that's difficult, obviously, to contemplate from within the limited position we now find ourselves? Because this ascent or descent that you're referring to is a, is a you know, how do we, you know, how does the unenlightened mind become enlightened, Neil? How? I think, I think to some extent, I think part of the problem is that as a species, I think we are forgetful. And I think we have a tendency to a kind of, you know, cultural Alzheimer's. I, I don't think our collective memory goes back very far. You know, maybe just a few generations. And beyond that, we're dependent upon the history books or the accounts of history. And, you know, the whole, the, all the caveats about history being written by the victors always applies there. And so I think we're a forgetful species. You know, Henri Bergson, the philosopher, said it's the function of the brain to enable us not to remember but to forget. I think we are always in the process as individuals and collectively of forgetting what actually happened. And so I think we need periodically to be reminded or to remind each other of what really matters. And when you look back through history, you can see, you can note the appearance time and time again of particularly bright lights who sought one way or another to say the same thing. You know, and I'm talking here about people like Jesus Christ or about the Buddha uh, or, or even about even about someone like Mahatma Gandhi, who, who tended to stress the importance, the, the inviolability of the individual and that ultimately everything comes back to us having faith in ourselves as individuals. And, and part of that is being prepared to take responsibility for what we each can do and the change that we can each affect as thinking, considerate, compassionate individuals. And you see it in, you see society reminding itself of that over and over again. You know, in, in 1215, when Magna Carta was written in England, it wasn't actually coming up with anything new. On the contrary, it was restating uh, ideas and truths that had come from a time immemorial. And it centred on the, the importance of the individual. And that's why it, it restated the idea that every man from the king down to the, to the lowliest commoner was entitled to trial by jury. Because a, a trial by a jury of your peers was regarded as being the way in which uh, the, the guilt or innocence of an individual, it, that wasn't the only thing being tested. It was the justice of the law itself. And it's why... What was enshrined in trial by jury in Magna Carta was that it ultimately came down to the individual so that rather than majority verdicts in the original juries, if you had someone being tried and let's say 11 of the 12 said guilty, but one man, one person said not guilty, then the judgment of that jury was not guilty. So that it enshrined in the importance of trial by jury that ultimately it was the, it was the conscience of the individual that carried the weight. Now that's a fundamentally important concept. You see it again in, you know, in 1776 in the Declaration of Independence in the United States. It, 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 it's careful, the founding fathers were careful once again to remind themselves and the society they were trying to build that it's not about the majority necessarily. Ultimately, it's about the individual conscience it's the it's the thinking individual that makes all the difference. That's why there's a there is a danger actually in in allowing always for a majority verdict or waiting for 
you know, a, a democratic decision as we've been you know, we've been tricked as a population into a, a consensus of false belief that the majority is always right. Because if the last three years have shown us anything at all, it's that on the contrary, it's often possibly always a minority, a determined, honest, passionate minority that is actually able to stand in the face of the majority and say, this is wrong. There is a better way. There's an alternative way. And, and it's minorities and indeed ultimately the individuals down through history that have made the difference, that have that have changed the course of society and civilization. And we, we need periodically to be reminded of that and to remind each other of that because we are a forgetful species. Neil, that's such a beautiful appraisal of the role of the individual and the potential of the individual that seems both arcane and progressive simultaneously, a kind of principle that we might organise around. And I think you're right that the assumption that the majority by virtue of the cargo carried in the mass are correct is again and again demonstrated to be untrue in your example of the last three years it is is indeed a good one. Sometimes I think, um, I love Jesus Christ, but I sometimes think it is the utility of Christianity that allowed its ascendancy, particularly, you know, in a post-Constantine sense when it became the, the religion of the of the state, shall we say, of the, of the empire. And perhaps a comparable thing might be true of democracy, that whilst in a sense, when organizing a small community, what principles are available to you? Benign dictatorship, wise elders, elders that are in a position of service that lead through sacrifice and selflessness. That can, of course, take place in a decentralized and localized model that would certainly be more in tune with how we live for tens of thousands of years and, wow, perhaps a hell of a lot longer if some commentators and, uh, let's say, radical historians are to be believed. And when it comes to democracy, as with Christianity, I wonder if it sort of somehow serves as a an edifice behind which corruption can operate, i.e. what kind of democracy can you have in a centralised nation of 300 million people? As we've seen in the last few election cycles in America, you've just got 50% or just under of the population agitated and infuriated. It seems like the process of centralisation itself, which is, of course, entirely at odds and absolutely opposite to the power of the individual is a big part of the problem. I wonder if you consider, uh, Neil, that democracy is anything but democratic. It's a kind of trick, a sleight of hand. I think it's, I, I say again, there's a, there's been a, the, the, the powers that be have managed to generate a consensus of false belief we think we understand what democracy is, but it's been reduced to us believing that it's a vote, a single vote every whatever four or five years. And that is actually, it, it's almost the antithesis of democracy. And I, I say again, it, it comes back to uh, acknowledging and respecting the, the power of the individual, the one in the face of the many, you know, this idea that the majority has to be believed and that the majority has to get its way every time can, can also be quite pernicious. 
And that's why, you know, I think it is worth repeating that, the, you know, the idea for many people, the idea of, of trial by jury, it sounds quite uh, esoteric or or or, uh, or 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 a side issue in a way because of the way we've been taught to think of jury trial. The fact remains that you know ninety odd percent of jury trials now are by are are by uh, magistrates court. They're not about they're not about trial by jury, and even where they are, a majority verdict now is is taken as being the decision of the jury. But, but in in its original iteration, it was always deferring to the individual. It, so as I say, one against 11 would have been, would still have been the vote that carried for that jury. And it's it's because it emphasises and stresses that ultimately it's individual conscience that makes all of the difference. I mean, when, when you talk about, when you talk about the way in which Christianity and it becoming an edifice behind which corruption might hide, I, I would say that sadly in for hundreds of years, I think Christ's Christianity has been negated and traduced in many ways. I, th I think what is often offered up as as Christianity now w would not have been what uh, would not really be what Jesus Christ meant. You know, when he when he preached, say, the Sermon on the Mount. You know, how, how much of that do we actually see around us right now? You know, when so when so much of of what we're hearing coming out of of when people are commenting on the Middle East is about the justification for vengeance, uh, an escalation of the violence, you know, a, a, a prioritizing of of one group's children over another, uh, you know, how much of that sits comfortably, you know, with with the kind of language that that's there enshrined in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, about you know, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy, and blessed are the peacekeepers. You know, and blessed are those who stand up for righteousness for righteousness' sake. You know, you're not you're not really seeing a lot of that uh, enacted around us at the moment, and it's and it's greatly to our loss. You know, I think a lot of people out there who are who are supposed faith leaders uh, for the for the Christian faith, the best thing they could do would be to convert to Christianity. Uh, you know, and 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 actually begin to think again about what Christianity actually means. Uh, but yes, I think I think that the most important thing I would say is that people feel powerless and understandably so. But the way in which you can begin to uh, turn that back or push back against that feeling of hopelessness is to is to respect and remember the power that each of us has as individuals, and that it comes with a great deal of personal responsibility. And as well as a lot of people maybe not wanting to contemplate the enormity of the problem that we face, you're turning their backs on it rather than confront it. You know, I, I think a lot of people also prefer not to contemplate the responsibility of being, uh, you know, grown-up, independent individuals who, who take responsibility for their actions. That's curious that you equate that to a kind of infantilization that an unwillingness to take that first step onto the staircase, an inability to see the galleon of corruption on the horizon might be because we have had our personal autonomy reduced to the degree where we are treated like and to a degree even feel like children. The, the amount of parentalism that you might note in what passes as neoliberal democratic discourse these days, I'm referring to some of the clips we watched earlier of Hillary Clinton being confronted by a protester who was saying, you know, like you're advocating for escalating war and violence and ultimately death and the kind of haughty, supercilious, condemnatory tones that are deployed 
reveal that the role of the populace, the populare, is now not a participant in an awakened community in which your value as an individual and your contribution to the community and your responsibility are all activated values. No, far from it. You are essentially a consumer. I envisage sometimes, Neil, a kind of like a sort of a tube of glucose going up one nostril, a kind of a drip filled with Pfizer's latest product going into the arm. You know, like what is our function? Are we, you know, they say you are what we, you you are what you eat and we eat monocrops in mass fields grown on mass. We eat mass slaughtered animals. Have we become like lambs to the slaughter, Neil, unable to take the kind of individual responsibility that's clearly required? There's a, there's a really good book that I refer to all the time. It's Eric Hoffer's True Believer. And, and in it, he, it was written in the 1950s. And, uh, but he was, uh, you know, he had, a, he had a hard physical life, Eric Hoffer, before he became a writer. And, you know, he'd been around the block and he'd, he'd seen some stuff. Uh, and and he, he pointed out that in, in truth, freedom is more than a, a lot of people actually want that in reality, what a lot of people want, even if they wouldn't maybe, even if the thought wouldn't necessarily crystallize as clearly, and they might not say it out loud, even if it did, is that what they want is freedom from freedom. That that many, many people are happier in reality being told what to do. You you, you know, you talk about an infantilizing and a, a, a and conversely, there's a desire to look to a leader and to look to to someone, something paternal or maternal, to take away that personal responsibility and just tell you what to do. A, a lot of people, a lot of people have an instinct to be led and they really just want freedom from freedom, you know, because freedom is an, can be an onerous responsibility. And yes, you know, we, you know, we, see, we tell each other that we live in a, a materialist society or a consumerist society, uh, and we've we've also given we've also given each other I would say a completely false idea of what happiness is. You know, pe- people have increasingly been led to believe that happiness is abundance. You know, some is good, more is better, and too much is just right. That the more stuff you can acquire, the more the more food you can eat, the more uh, the more white goods you can have, the more mobile phones, the more cars, and all of the rest of it is the route to happiness. And that is that is the antithesis of happiness, really. You know, you know, so many people out there uh, want medicated. They want to be they want to be given a pill to take away their dissatisfaction, and they, they tell themselves that they're that they're depressed and that, and that they need all sorts of medical help because they're not happy. And it's because we've been miseducated about what happiness actually is. You know, that's, and that's a really serious consideration. You know, I would say that ha- happiness should really be uh, something that we notice because it stands out in comparison to the rest of the texture of daily life that comes with ups and downs and sadness and challenge and adversity and all of the rest of it. And the, and the moments when the sun unexpectedly or not breaks through the clouds, that's happiness. And that's how you can appreciate being happy. But it's only one of the textures of being human and alive and, you know, Francis Hutchison had the chair of moral philosophy at Glasgow University during the Scottish Enlightenment in the 1750s and 60s. And he preached that, that that happiness was not just some random gift from God. It didn't fall from heaven like manna onto the fortunate. On the contrary, it was to be it was to be worked for. He said that 
by dedicating all of your strength and all of your effort to making those around you happier, that the collateral benefit that you would enjoy would be that you would experience happiness by making, by working so hard to make other people happy. And, you know, one of his students was John Witherspoon, who was invited eventually to become the second president of uh, what is Princeton University. It was a college then. And he was one of the signatories of the Declaration of Independence. And it's it's there's room for, for the possibility that the line about life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness came from John Witherspoon's education at the hands of Francis Hutchison. And, and once you once you embrace that idea that happiness is actually to be pursued actively with with every fiber of your being in the form of working for other people's improvement and and the improvement of other people's circumstances that that's what makes you happy, then that that turns on its head the materialist consumerist idea of of what it is to be happy. You know, we've been we've been given a very one dimensional shallow to the point of of uh you know, of being of almost being invisible and irrelevant an idea of happiness you know ha- happiness is a product of something much richer that takes in the rest of human experience neil i love your analysis that the pursuit of happiness rather than the destination of happiness might have been the key part of that valuable enshrined idiom and part of deep american history and culture it's lovely to speak with you neil it's like being in a magnesium bath of wisdom i can only imagine how lovely it would be to actually be in a magnesium bath of wisdom with you while you espouse this gentle little philosophy. Neil, it's so kind of you to have joined us today. Thank you very much. Those of you that are not familiar with Neil, he's on GB News. You can find GB News content here on Rumble. If you want to follow him on X, he's at The Coast Guy. That's how you'll find him there. And his new book, we'll post a link to this, Hauntings, a book of ghosts and where to find them across 25 eerie British locations is out now. And I'm going to work my way through those 25 locations. Neil, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope we get a another opportunity to speak again soon because it's uh, for me extremely soothing it was like valium in a good way I'll see you in the magnesium bath, Russell. That is our next stop, the magnesium bath, the two of us, because normally it's ice plunges for me, but from now on, it's magnesium baths with Neil. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Neil. That was beautiful. Thanks, mate. Hey, thank you. on tomorrow's show, we're going to be joined by presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy for a fantastic conversation in which he reveals sort of how he's deeply feeling about this race, how it's going, about the sort of propagandist forces infiltrating the Republican system, about how campaign finances in the uh, the form of super PACs direct the trajectory of power. If you want to be a member of our Awakened Wonder community, you get access to early interviews like the one with Vivek and the one with Jordan Peterson that's going to take the top of your head, clean off and fill your mind with all sorts of extraordinary questions from archetypes to global symbols. It's a brilliant conversation. It's well worth joining locals just to get 
get that in advance as well as being part of the beautiful conversation with the likes of Victoria Rose and Claude and Janice Six and uh, Miles Driver, a whole beautiful gang. If you want to become an Awakened Wonder, if you're interested in moving from criticising the problem, attacking the establishment and its many evident and obvious flaws to creating new communities, new systems, finding ways where people that are so opposed to one another that it might cause war can find things to agree on, find ways to love one another and unite, become an Awakened Wonder right now. Like flying Amazons. Flying Amazons, they've taken the first step on the ascendancy staircase like Ezekiel. Angel Fort, what better description? Georgia May 1, Anita B. Deep, Selvaggio, they're all members of our community now. As you know, the ongoing global conflicts continue to escalate, and in particular, the conflagration between Israel and Palestine is devastating, particularly for people that are personally involved, but for all humanity. How would you feel if you were to discover that on legacy media, you're being given apparently expert opinion by people who have a vested interest in increasing the sales of weapons? Increasingly, MSNBC. CNN and the like bring out people with strong financial ties to Raytheon, Boeing and Lockheed Martin and ask them, should we continue to have wars? Should we continue to kill each other? Well, it's very good for business. Here's the news. No. Here's the effing news.